I take a great deal of pride in my ability to destroy family portrait <laughs> from the inside. From the inside out. Speaking of the inside out, did you watch any of the recent Saturday Night Live stuff? The Jim Carrey fly? No. Oh. Was it insane? Oh my gosh. Mamma Mia? It was absolutely ridiculous. Isn't he the actor who would be Joe Biden? Yes. Was he in that sketch? Because that sketch was to the yeah, VP debate. I know. Jim Carrey he plays Biden. He's watching live on TV. And he goes, I need to help Kamala. And so <laughs> he's like, I'm going to teleport to the stage to help her. And as he steps into a teleportation machine, there's a fly inside of it. We're going Cronenberg. So he gets teleported to the room. But he was transformed into a fly, like Jeff Goldblum in The Fly. Incredible. So he lands on Pence's head. Jim Carrey, by the way, as Biden, as a fly. <laughs> He's a dude playing a dude. And then he slowly starts to transform into Jeff Goldblum. What? It's no. amazing. Like Actual it, Jeff Goldblum? No, like an impression of Jeff Goldblum. Oh, okay. It's amazing. So we were talking about Netflix earlier. And Netflix has had some... Winners, and it's had some losers. And it's had some things that were winning. Until they lost. And then Netflix decided that they were losers. They cast a wide net. Netflix does. I bet you if we walked up to them with a halfway decent idea and a dream, they'd say, here's $10 million in cash. Just go. I need 125 But all that to say, yeah, they have a lot of content on that site now. A lot of original programming. And the vast majority of it is, I think, is fair to say it's not very good. But there's some great stuff. There's some really good stuff. Really good gems. One of them is what we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. But there's others too. (laughs) (laughs) But Netflix has also canceled stuff that was very successful, at least that had a large following. They recently just canceled Glow and they canceled Teenage Bounty Hunter Nonsense or whatever it was called, which that show actually got pretty good ratings. And we were saying how, at least I was saying how I wish Netflix, because they cancel stuff so frequently, I wish they would give the shows and the stuff that they're canceling at least like a two hour long episode or movie to kind of summarize what the show was doing. To give a little closure. Yeah. And for example, we were talking about the OA. Mm. Rest in peace. After season two, which was amazing and something we probably would have done a podcast about if we had this podcast up and running when the OA season two came out. Last year, spring-ish? Yeah. The OA, if for those of you that don't know, is like a sci-fi emotional thriller with some cosmic elements to it. Season two is one of the best seasons of television I've seen in a while. Yeah. Anyway, so Netflix canceled season two, which was shocking for people that got into the OA and really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. It ended on a massive cliffhanger. So anyway, all this to say, it'd be great if Netflix could just throw fans a bone, especially because they cancel stuff so frequently. And to cancel something like Glow, which had three really good seasons, I was saying it sort of contradicts Netflix's savior mentality, where they often take shows that are dying or have died and then bring them back to life. For example, Arrested Development or Lucifer or uh, Full House, for example. They have become known as this production studio that can bring back things that were lost and at the same time though they're canceling things and it feels very contradictory it feels very hypocritical and backstabby all that to say today we're talking about a show which hopefully doesn't get canceled which hopefully doesn't get canceled after the season because in my opinion this latest season of this show was very good so the show is called the haunting yeah it sort of became an anthology series after the first season 
The first season, Gabe and I both really, really loved. It was called The Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. It came out two years ago in October, I think near Halloween in 2018. Uh, received, yeah, a lot of really great love from a lot of critics. Especially for Netflix's standards. <laughs> yep. And mainly because it had a lot of heart and it had very good character development and a very good story. The thing that I think this anthology series, especially in contrast to other anthology series like American Horror Story, is that it has a lot more heart to it and a much more grounded feel, I guess you could say. The characters feel real. So many times in horror movies, you know, it's it's not very deep mm-hmm. in terms of character development. But in a show, and Mike Flanagan and his team were very intentional with the way they wrote the arcs in this show. The show really has time to go into that, into the characters. So it's not just jump scares and spooks. We have that in spades, uh, especially in the first season. All those elements are still very much there. But it is really about the characters, like Steven said. In this specific season, came out two years later, it came out this last weekend. It's called The Haunting of Blind Manor. It's an anthology series, so it has the same tone and feeling, and even some of the same actors from Haunting of Hill House. But let's talk about Mike Flanagan, because you brought him up already. Mike Flanagan is sort of the person in charge. If you saw the sequel to The Shining, Doctor Sleep, that came out last year, he was the director of that. He also directed every episode of The Haunting of Hill House. And he directed one episode of Bly Manor and was still producing it throughout. So from how Gabe has described him to me, like the new it boy in horror these well, days. I, I would call him, in my mind at least, the master of conventional horror. It's not really like auteur filmmaking, like you would describe Robert Eggers and Ari Aster, people that we've covered earlier in the year. Mike Flanagan, over the last 10 years, he's established himself as someone who's very good at what he does, at making more accessible horror. That's how I would describe his work. So both of these seasons were based off of different books, right? Yeah, the Haunting series so far has been uh, adaptations of if you can call them horror works from the past. So season one's Hill House was Shirley Jackson's novel. Which apparently is an amazing novel. And there have been a lot of adaptations because it's so influential. Somewhere around 2000, 2001, there was the one with Owen Wilson and Liam Neeson. I think it was called The Haunting. Oh, I remember that. So it's been around for a while. And Flanagan went even farther back in time. Season two's Bly Manor was based on a collection of the works of Henry James. How do you describe Henry James? Born in 1843 and died in 1916. He's regarded as a key transitional figure between literary realism and literary modernism, and is considered by many to be among the greatest novelists in the English language. Thank you, Stephen. So this season of The Haunting, The Haunting of Bly Manor, was focused mostly on Henry James's 1898 work, The Turn of the Screw, which I think became his most well-known since it was later in his life. But it pulls from a lot of other Henry James works as well. And I think every title, in fact, of season two, every episode title was pulling from different Henry James works. That's really cool. The Way It Came, uh, The Jolly Corner. To me, it makes this anthology series mean more because it is pulling from things that have been around for a long time and giving them new life. Yeah, exactly. And they took some liberties in that regard to bring it into the 21st century, kind of modernize it. But in, it's specifically set in the 1980s and 90s. So that era, you could tell from the hairstyle of the actresses. 85 to 87. <laughs> but yeah, that's what Flanagan's been doing recently. He's been pulling from classic literature and the genre and creating his adaptations. Like you said, he was in full creative charge of the first season. He wrote and directed every episode, I think. 
And season two, he wrote and directed the first one, and then he had a team of writers and directors come and helm the rest of the series. But it's still very much a Mike Flanagan production. There was no noticeable dip in quality quality of direction. I didn't think so. There were more qualms, perhaps, with the story over the course of the season, just because it was a very different kind of story. Personally, I'm not a really big fan of uh, the horror genre. I'm I'm becoming more of one. I'm indoctrinating you. (laughs) (laughs) Well... I've seen enough to know what's bad and what's good. And The Haunting of Hill House, to me, was one of my favorite things I've seen in a long, long time from the horror genre. And Bly Manor, to me, well, I should say, we should probably address the big question in the room, which is, is Bly Manor as good as Hill House? Hmm. I think they're apples and oranges. There's a few similarities, like tone and the direction, like we were just talking about. Mike Flanagan has this way of constantly making you feel like there's something behind every single shot. (laughs) And so you're kind of freaked out the whole time that something's going to pop out. And he doubled down on that in this season. And then the character development and the story, you fall in love with the characters like you did in Haunting of Hill House. You end up caring about what happens to those characters. And so I would say those things are similar, but the rest of it is... Confetti. Is different. (laughs) Nice. And so if you are going into it thinking you're going to get another Hill House... You might be disappointed, but it also depends on what you're looking for going into it. There was a varying level of response over the course of the show. Some people thought it started out stronger and ended weaker. Some people thought it started out very slow and then really found its footing in the second half. Some people loved the whole thing. Some people didn't like the whole thing. And I think kind of like Hill House in a way, right in episode five, halfway through the show is when everything really clicks for you and you realize, oh, this is why this show is special. I would agree with that, but to me, it's still special before that as well, because the characters are so good and and you're enjoying what you're watching. So I disagree with the people that say that it's too slow in the beginning. Yeah. I never felt like it was too slow. It was always visually interesting to me and the characters, whatever they were doing, I was always tuned in. I never felt bored. I use episode five as an example to say, this is when I think the identity really solidified uh, for the show. Yeah. It also takes place in England, and like Gabe said, in the 80s, I did not expect those two things. That automatically made it feel a little bit different, I think, than Hill House. I think I used the term gothic romance already, and that's really what this show is at its core. It's a love story as much as it is a ghost story. And this show talks about those things as being... Those are the themes. ...synonymous, or being the same thing. To love is to be haunted, and that ghosts, kind of like in the first season, and Flanagan said this himself, that... Ghosts are really just manifestations or expressions of our emotional state. People are just haunted in general. Every character in this show is affected by something or traumatized by something, and they have baggage. That baggage takes form, and that's what makes the show interesting, I think. It's not just a poltergeist. It's very personal. Yeah. The show talks about love and basically how far are you willing to go to love someone. The line was, love is when you decide that the... Work of loving someone is worth the pain of losing them. Yeah, that theme plays throughout in different ways. And most people would say, you don't understand what that means until the end of the show. But everyone can relate to that. Relationships, romantic or otherwise. It's not just romantic. Friendships or siblings or stuff like that. What is love and is love worth it? And I think a lot of the things that the characters are dealing with, their demons that they're battling, so to speak, in this season is basically asking themselves that question and being scarred from trauma. There's a lot of suffering over loss in this show and learning to live with that, learning 
how to keep going after you've lost something like that. There's also one of my favorite themes that I sort of pulled out. It toys around with what the idea of hell is. There are a few instances where some of the characters will be going through something traumatic and they will say this is hell and they mean it figuratively, but you as the audience can sort of take it literally. The thing that I found most interesting about that is in modern evangelical Christian faith, which Gabe and I have both had experience with, hell is one thing specifically. Lake of fire. (laughs) But one of the things that helped me to see hell in a little bit of a different light is uh, C.S. Lewis's work called The Great Divorce. And in that work, he has a character traversing and navigating through a hell landscape. But the people that are in hell that the character encounters, they're all living out manifestations of time that they spent on earth. They're in kind of a constant state of reliving some moments that they had while they were on earth that kept them bound to earth. So the character, as they navigate this landscape of hell, keeps encountering these beings who don't know that they have died. They are stuck in the place that they're stuck in because they have these vices that have bound them to be where they are, and they don't know how to release that. That's what keeps them stuck in this proverbial hell. Hmm. And so I found similar themes here in this season of haunting that really reminded me of that C.S. Lewis work. What work was it? The Great Divorce. The Great Divorce speaks to the in-between heaven and hell. Would you call it purgatory? No, it's not as black and white as that. That's what makes it a divorce, is there's this great chasm between heaven and hell. Well, the acting was really good in this show. Yeah. Special shout-outs to Tania Miller as the housekeeper Hannah Gross. Probably my favorite, along with Rahul Kohli, who played Owen, the chef. Wonderful chemistry between them. And the lead actress, Victoria Pedretti and Amelia Eve, who played the gardener. A lot of great actors and actresses on this show. And the kids were great, too. Sometimes kid actors can really... Yeah. Suck. I think... (laughs) Suck the air out of the room. The two kids from this season were even better than the kids from the first season. Perfectly splendid. The sinister quality, particularly... In the boy. In the boy was something else. And the creepiness of the girl. There were moments, especially around like the dollhouse, where you're just like, what the hell is happening right now? Did you know that there was a film based on the same The Turn of the Screw in January of this year called The Turning? Same story, adaptation. No. Victoria Pedretti's character in that film was played by Mackenzie Davis. The boy was played by Finn Wolfhard. Finn's great in Stranger Things, but that role, it looked so bad. Apparently that film adaptation was absolutely trash. All that to say, the child actors in this adaptation were great. Flora is played by Amelie B. Smith, or Bay Smith, I'm not sure, and Benjamin Evan Ainsworth played Miles. One last note, aside from all the other themes of love, loss, all the trappings that come with those things, dementia and mental illness were also prevalent themes or metaphors. It's always good to see representations of that and ways that we can deal with that because mental illness in our modern society is something that is still kind of just overlooked especially during the pandemic right now i love the show i hope everyone watches it and i'm really excited to see what flanagan and his team bring back for a season three. Oh man i hope to see a season there's got to be a season three i too would say i don't recommend horror often I, in fact i probably would not really ever recommend horror i think if anyone's ever looking to dip their toes in the genre this is the place to do it perfectly splendid perfectly splendid perfectly splendid